We're reading in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the devil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what you will give your well, you want only what will give you pleasure. Now we're reading in John chapter 4 verses 12 through 13. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the Father. Well, good morning, Hope City. I would ask you how you're doing, but it sounds like you're doing good. And uh, we're, we're glad that you're here. If you slid in a little bit late, just want to introduce myself. I'm, my name's Jason, the pastor here, and we're uh, glad we get to be together. We have started the year, we're taking this month to, to talk on the topic of prayer. And we're using a very simple acrostic to do that, the word pray. And so we have learned so far that the P stands for pause. And, and Pastor Joe beautifully taught us that before we talk to God, we want to be still and quiet so we can hear from God. That we've got to stop talking long enough to get our hearts ready to pray. And then last week, Pastor Katie uh, taught on the R, which stands for rejoice. And we learned that you're never going to really enjoy prayer unless you enjoy God, because that's who you're talking to. And uh, she did a great job with that. And so today, my uh, assignment is to teach on the A, which stands for ask. Everybody say ask. We're talking about asking today. Asking is a part of prayer. It's probably the part of prayer that we're most familiar with and maybe the most traditional idea of prayer um, that we have. So we want to talk about that. And our goal throughout this series and these sermons is to give you more confidence when you pray. I think we all could use a little more confidence. We all would like to leave praying feeling as if we did better. I don't know how we would define better, but feeling better about our prayer time. And I can't think of an area where we need more confidence than in how we ask and what we ask for from God. And so I want to be clear right up front, get, get it all out there at the beginning, that there is nothing wrong with asking God to do things for you. Right up front, we got to know that. That there is nothing wrong. The Bible clearly tells us, and we should embrace this idea of asking God to do things for us. But even as I say that, there is this part of us that's like, I mean, everything, you know, I, like what, there are, surely there are some things that God doesn't want me to like ask for or to talk about, or we, we feel guilty or we feel ashamed or we, you know, we, we don't really feel as if we can ask God for anything. And he said anything. Uh, recently, a lot of you know that this past fall, my car was stolen and that obviously led us to praying a good bit. Uh, but when we got the car back, we had to take it to a body shop. If you know anything about body shops right now, you know that they're backed up timeline-wise. It's taking forever. And, uh, and so I had to get a rental car through the insurance. Drove that for several weeks. Car still wasn't ready, but I'd run out of my allotment of money for a rental car. So I called the insurance, and, and they were gracious enough to give me another week. And, but then the car still wasn't ready. It was going to be a little while longer. So I called the insurance company back, and I said, 
you know, I really need a car, like I've got a job, I've got four kids, you know, we can't really do the one vehicle thing. And they said, I'm sorry, like there's nothing else we can do, you know, your, your plan doesn't have more, you know, uh, allotment for a rental car. You got to take it back. So I, after hanging up on the phone, I, I needed help. I needed some supernatural intervention. I needed God to provide a rental car. But in that moment, I thought, I can't pray about that. I mean, a rental car. I mean, you know how many people don't have cars? You know how many people have one vehicle or no vehicles? And, you know, what an American problem to have. And, you know, I mean, I got my car back. I don't want to ask for too much. I mean, I got the car back, you know. And, and so there was, even in that moment, there was the sense. But I, so I, I sheepishly said to God, like, God, I need a rental car. And I don't know, like, I don't know how you would do that. I don't know how that works. But, like, could you provide me with a rental car until my vehicle is done at the shop? Very simple, almost apologetic prayer. And so I drive to, to Enterprise, shout out to Enterprise Rental Car. I drive to Enterprise, tell them, you know, I'm bringing the car back, and they ask me to come inside, and they're having trouble looking up the records for the, for the car. And they say, hey, I'm going to need you to call your insurance company. So I call my insurance company, and I say to the guy, I'm standing here at the counter. They're, they're having trouble. And, uh, and the insurance guy says, well, give me the claim number. And so I'm repeating, you know, I'm middleman through the phone. They're giving me the claim number. I'm repeating the claim number. And the insurance guy says, we don't, that's not the right claim number. We don't have the right, that's, that's not the right claim number. And I said, oh, well, that's the one that they have. He says, hold on one second. You know, you hear him typing on the computer. He comes back, he says, you know what? It looks like they accidentally used the claim that you had like several months ago where you could have rented a car, but you didn't rent a car. And so you still have this whole other like allotment you can drive this rental car. You could drive this rental car for like two months. Like you could just drive the rental car. And I was like, thank you very much. I take the keys back and get in the car. And, I, and so I get in the car and I text Andrea and I said, I think I just experienced a miracle. But the reason I put I think in there was because there was still this part of me that was like, well, I mean, you know, the record was in the computer. I mean, and then I'm trying to connect coincidental dots, and I'm working so hard to try to provide an explanation besides the fact that I asked God, and he said, okay. And he did it. And this is just one example of where God answered a prayer that I wasn't even confident in praying. Like, I don't even know if you do this thing about rental cars, but could you get in that computer, you know, and and he did it. It reminds me of the story. I may have told this here before. I don't know. It all runs together. But it reminds me of that story I heard about the, the older lady who annoyed her neighbor because she would pray real loud on her front porch. And, and so she would always pray. But she was struggling and didn't have any food. And so one day she was out on the front porch. Her neighbor didn't believe in God. And so he was always so annoyed by her prayers. And so she's out on the front porch and she's praying. God, you know, you're my provider. You know that I need, you know that I have nothing to eat. And so, God, I'm believing that you're going to provide food for me to eat. So the guy in the neighborhood who didn't believe in God, you know, he gets this brilliant idea, like, I'll show her, I'll trick her. And so that night he goes to the grocery store, buys two bags of groceries, comes and puts them on the front porch. The next morning the lady comes out the front door and she sees the two bags of groceries. Immediately she starts praising God. God, thank you so much. You've provided. I knew you'd hear me when I pray. I knew you were a provider. And the neighbor opened the window and said, ha. Joke's on you. God didn't do that. I went and bought you those groceries. 
And the lady said, God, thank you so much. Not only did you meet my need, but you had the devil pray for it. God has a way of answering prayers, and he will use all kinds of ways and ideas that you would never come up with. And so we're talking about asking. And our two scriptures today that Sadie read for us make some pretty large declarations about asking. Declarations that seem too good to be true almost. James said that you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And then Jesus said that you can ask for anything in my name and I, I will do it. And I have to admit to you as a, as a pastor and as a recovering cynic, when we read verses like this, I immediately want to jump in with a bunch of disclaimers and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not exactly what it means. I mean, it's, it doesn't mean exactly that. Just hold on. Don't just like grab a hold of that. Like, let me explain because it's not exactly that. But I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I want to do the opposite. And before we worry about all the technicalities of what it means, instead of rushing past that, I would like for us to pause for just a moment and think about and comprehend the fact that God would even give us this kind of power, this kind of opportunity. I mean, what a miracle that it is that the God of the universe would give us, like who are we, you and me, who are we, that he would give us a way to alter life, that he would give us a way to alter history. Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? Considered the fact that you and I, as insignificant and unimportant as we are, have at our disposal the potential to influence God. All we have to do, they say, is ask. We influence outcomes when we ask. Several years ago, I was putting the, a few years ago, I was putting the kids to bed, and uh, my, my three younger kids, Sadie was not there with us, but put them to bed, and that night, we just picked a book off the bookshelf, and it was uh, the children's book version of Aladdin. So we read that, and uh, we got done, and I said, hey, you know, here's, a, here's an interesting question. If you found a genie in a bottle and you uh, got three wishes, you know, what would you wish for? And Nora and Zeke, they jump in, you know, throwing out all sorts of great ideas. You know, they're always good ideas. And Solomon didn't say anything. Solomon was just kind of thinking. That's, that's what he does in our family. He's always thinking and processing and, you know, telling what's going on in there. But so, so after the other kids had gotten done, I said to Solomon, I said, Solly, you know what? You haven't said anything. If you found a genie and you had three wishes, what would you wish for? And he looked at me like sheepishly and, you know, just with these, the cutest eyes and the cutest face possible. And he said, this is what he said. He said, Dad, I don't need three wishes. I just need one. I want a dog. <laughs> now, up to that point, I didn't grow up in a house with pets, nor did my wife. And so up to that point, anytime my kids had talked about getting a pet, we were like, no. No, you want, we'll compromise, you can get a goldfish, that's it, no pets, right? No pets. And that night after I tucked them in, I walked into the bedroom to Andrew and I said, I hate to tell you this, but we're getting a dog. <laughs> we are getting a dog. Matter of fact, I brought a picture of Hattie. This is uh, our dog there, Hattie Mae. And, you know, we got the dog and we had all these ground rules. And now the dog's sleeping in between me and Andrea in the bed and <laughs> I love that dog. 
But here's what happened. What happened was my child moved my heart. And he got what he wanted because he asked for it. I can promise you that I was not going to just show up at home one day with a dog. I wasn't going to stop and surprise them with a dog. I was, my will for my family's life was not a dog. It didn't involve a dog in any way. But it was specifically because he asked and how he asked that my heart was moved. And this is what James is describing when he says, you don't have because you don't ask God for it. And so no matter how cynical we want to be, We cannot deny the fact that there are some things that only happen in life and that would otherwise not happen if we did not ask God for it. Let me say that again. That there are some things that only happen in life and would otherwise not happen if we didn't ask God for it. So this has to be our starting point for asking. No no cynicism, no questions asked. No coincidental connecting the dots. We should ask. We should do it. And we shouldn't feel bad about it. And there's nothing that we cannot ask for. Or there's no amount of times that we're only allowed to ask. God wants us to ask. And, you know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give us prayer. He could have just decided, predetermined everything, and, and, and just told us to deal with it. But he doesn't do that. This, this, this not only is prayer, but this idea of, of asking or petition is a gift from God. And I think, I'm sure there's lots of different reasons. I think there's at least three reasons that God wants us to ask. And I'm thinking of this as a father to my children and a heavenly father to me. At least, there's more, but at least three reasons. Number one is because when I ask, there's a relational element to it. People who are really comfortable with one another don't feel bad about asking someone to do something. Hey, can you pick up my kid from school? Can I borrow some butter out of the fridge? Can you, know, can you help me? I need to borrow your car. Or what, what, like, I don't feel like I'm imposing. I don't, I'm not worried about if you're going to like me for it or not. Like, we're already in love. We're already in relationship. We're already connected. And so people who have relationship feel very comfortable asking. And so to the degree that you and I feel uncomfortable asking is a little bit of an indictment on how close we feel in our relationship with God. And asking without relationship is just a lot of superstition and and stuff like that. But within relationship, a God that we love, a God that we feel close to, there's a real comfort in, in asking. But I think another reason is that it requires vulnerability, which we hate. That's why prayer is usually our last resort. You know, it's like we've tried everything we know to try and done everything we know to do. And so we have to come to God and we have to say, God, I have no other options. I don't know what to do. I can't do it. And we have to admit our inability to do something. And I, I, I think that there's something in that vulnerability that, that is special to our relationship with God. But I, like I said, there's more than three. But I think maybe the most important reason would be that third reason, which is when I ask, when I get into the habit of asking, it makes me a more grateful person. That the more I ask, the more I'm paying attention to answered prayers and small blessings. Someone who isn't asking isn't looking for answered prayers. And Pete Griggs says in his book, he says, we should 
pray more often for smaller things or pray for smaller things more often. He's not saying only pray for small things. He's saying that when you become the kind of person who's just constantly praying and asking about all the little things in your life, you become the kind of person who notices all the answered prayers that God provides. So if you're, I have lots of friends and preachers and pastors in different, you know, tribes of 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 belief systems and theologies and church styles and all that stuff. And I've got friends who are uh, askers and faith builders. And, man, they're just like, go to God and pray for it and claim it. And, go. and, and you know what I've noticed about them? Even though everything they say may not be, like, totally correct, I've noticed that they're more joyful and they are more grateful and they're more thankful and they celebrate more because they live their life through the lens that God is actively involved and they're actively involved and God's doing something. And then I have other friends that are, are probably even maybe more correct in their interpretations of things, and, 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 but they're not really askers. They're not big faith people. And I've noticed about them that even though they're probably more intellectually correct, they're less joyful They're less grateful, and they do not live life with this lens of paying attention to all of the little answered prayers. And I'm not saying that one is right and wrong or we need to be one or the other. I'm saying that even if we go into asking with some faulty beliefs or some faulty theology, or we don't have it right, which we don't, by the way, it still, as we ask and pray more, makes us more of a grateful person who's looking for for answered prayers. And Greg says in his book, he says, you know, the... The million-dollar question, should you pray for parking spots? He's like, I do. And every time one comes open, I think, thank you, Jesus, because I want to be a person who's grateful for answered prayers. So these, this is where our heart should be in this relationship with God is asking, 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 asking. But then the obvious next question is, what about when God doesn't answer our prayers? Because all of us in here have prayed for a lot of things, and we haven't gotten what we've asked for. So you can't talk about asking without also talking about unanswered prayers. And depending on how you keep score or keep notes or what you're looking for, you would probably say, I've experienced more unanswered prayers than I have answered prayers in my life. Maybe, maybe you would say that. I don't know. So what's happening in that? When you're asking God, the scriptures say you have, it, you have not because you ask not, or if you ask in my name, I'll do it. So, okay, I've done that. I've, I've prayed those prayers. So what happened? Well, I, I'm going to tell you what I think happened. But before I do that, I want to add a, a disclaimer that for most of my life, I have not enjoyed sermons on prayer. That includes my own, by the way, if you go back and listen to those, um, for two reasons. Most sermons that I have heard on prayer either feel really cynical or really gullible. I'm a fourth-generation preacher's kid. I've grown up in church my whole life, heard a lot of sermons on prayer. And I would categorize a lot of them as really cynical or really gullible. And here's what I mean. In the gullible sermons, it was like they were selling me a timeshare. And if I would just believe it, claim it, go for it, then it was mine. All I got to do is just already act like it's mine, you know? But then when I didn't get it, they would say, well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. You didn't believe enough, right? So it's like, well... The reason you did not get your prayers is because you didn't have enough faith. And there is a kernel of truth in there because Jesus in the Gospels would say, your faith has made you whole. There's always a little bit of truth in our wrong interpretations. There's a little bit in there. And so, yes, there is a faith element, of course, to answer prayers. But Jesus also said the faith of a mustard seed, which is like none at all. So so we got to be careful quantifying that, right? 
So I leave ashamed and discouraged because, like, well, you know, I would have had the timeshare, but, you know, I didn't have enough faith. But then the other side is the cynical, which is somebody who they're definitely not pitching me the timeshare. They're talking about prayer with a bunch of conditions that feel like a tease. So they would say, well, God, yeah, God will give you what you ask for as long as you ask for the right reasons in the right way at the right time. He'll answer all your prayers. As long as you pray God's will, he'll answer all your prayers. I'm like, well, I don't know God's will, right? And so in those instances, it's like, it's like shopping at Kohl's. Like you think you've got a deal till you get to the counter, but you don't have the deal you think you've got. The Kohl's cash is not valid during this period of time. And so prayer feels that way sometimes where you're like, oh, so he doesn't give me what I ask. Oh, so it's not about petitioning God. It's, it's about jumping through all the hoops and the hurdles. And so maybe you felt that way before. This is my disclaimer is that I'm definitely not going to go the timeshare route, okay? But I also, to the best of my ability, want to try not to over-conditionalize God's promise either, and so I want to see if I can do that. So here's how we're going to do it, is, is I want to talk about you and I. When it comes to unanswered prayers, I want to talk about our starting point. So start with us. And if we would say, you know what, I've experienced a lot of unanswered prayers. I have been very discouraged because I, there's a lot of things that I've asked God for that I haven't received. I think we got to start with making three confessions, okay? Three confessions or three things that... I have to admit about my prayers, and, and I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you could probably confess and admit these things about your prayers too. I'm going to go ahead and give them to you. Here are the, conf- the confessions that, that I have to admit about my prayers. I probably want a lot of the wrong things for a lot of the wrong reasons. That's number two. At the wrong time. That's number three. If I... If we're going to be honest about the discouragement of unanswered prayers, I have to at least be willing to admit that I probably want a lot of the wrong things for the wrong reasons at the wrong time. And this is what James was getting at when he said at the beginning, Sadie read it for us, he says, what's causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. He's not talking about those people over there. He's talking about you and me. He's saying this is how we show up to prayer. This is the condition of our soul. We want what we don't have. We scheme. We're jealous. This is how we show up to prayer. We show up conflicted, selfish, jealous, discontent, and scheming. This is the condition of our soul. Which is one reason, by the way, that we should pause before we pray, like Pastor Joe taught us. Because if we can be still for 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes or five minutes, a lot of that sinful nature of us will come to the surface and we'll be able to pray more clearly knowing what's true about ourselves. But we have to at least start by saying, yeah, that's, that's how I show up to prayer too. I show up to prayer and my prayers are influenced by what I'm seeing around me. And so, yeah, like if I'm praying about making more money at work, it's probably because I'm, there's an inadequacy that I'm feeling because the people around me are making more money. There's other reasons too, but I have to at least be willing to admit there's some comparison going on in my heart. 
Or I've tried to get some things and my ways haven't worked, and so now I'm coming to God, but I'm already kind of mad about it. Or, you know, I, I, I do, my car is breaking down a lot, and I do need God to help me get a car. And there's lots of, that's great, that's fine to ask for. But I also have to be willing to admit that the way that I define what a good car is is based on what cars are being driven around me. And so I'm coming into prayer admitting to God, God, I got some things I'm about to ask you for, but I'm going to go ahead and just admit up front that all of these things that I want, their starting point is probably in my sinful nature. Are you following me on that? Okay. Which leads me to the next confession I have to make about asking, which is my motives are probably not all that pure. (laughs) Right? James keeps taking us to school and he says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong and you only want what will give you pleasure. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with asking for pleasure, but there is something wrong with only ever asking for pleasure. And when he says pleasure, he's not just talking about things that feel good. He's also talking about avoidance of things that feel bad, right? And so I've shared with you one of my favorite Mark Batterson quotes many times, but Batterson says, don't be in such a hurry to get out of tough times that you don't get anything out of them. And I think that really applies here. We don't like to hear it or accept it, but we all know it's true that the best lessons are learned and the most characters are developed when life is the hardest. It was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but shouts to us in our pain. There's a closeness to God that we feel in the tough times, a desire to pray during trouble that cannot be manufactured when our problems go away. Many of you would not be sitting in this church this morning if life had not gotten very difficult for you. And that's okay to admit that that was your starting point. We find God at the bottom. And so there is something very beneficial about troubled times, painful times, hard times. Of course, we would never choose them. But I would be willing to bet that if you were to look back on your life, not just in the short term, but in the long term, like decades, that God has answered your prayer for a better life, a more enjoyable life. But the way that he's given you that more enjoyable life is by not answering your short-term prayers to get out of all your problems. Right? Because we would never want to go through it again, but we also know that all of the things that are making our life more enjoyable now are because of those things that we went through. And so God... What do you know, God? You did answer my prayer, and my life is now better. And I'm not saying you're not going through a tough time now. Of course, there are a lot of people going through a tough time. But I'm saying in the grand scheme of things, as you look back, you go, you know what? I would have never wanted to go through that, 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 and that. But here I am now, and you know, my life does feel like it has value. It is enjoyable. But it wasn't because it was all pleasurable. And so I've got to just admit that, yeah, I'm frustrated and discouraged about unanswered prayers. But I'm... I'm probably asking for not all the right things. And, I, and my reasons are probably not all that pure. I do want to make more money so I can give more to the church. That's true somewhere on the list. But let's be honest, it's not number one. Like, I, you want to give more to the church, and thank you for that. But stop it. That ain't the first reason. So drop that, okay? And just admit that to God, okay? So let me just give you the, this last confession I think we need to make. 
is that my sinful nature is probably leading me to ask for wrong things, and I'm probably not asking for the right reasons. But I'm also probably got my timing all messed up, asking at the wrong times. I've learned over the years that God answers my prayers predominantly in three ways, uh, yes, no, and not yet. And the older I get, the more I'm convinced that not yet is God's favorite response. And here's why, because the desires that are in my heart, the dreams that are in my heart, the things that I want for my children, the, all of these things, they are God thoughts, they are God desires, they are God dreams, they are birthed by God. But I'm almost always premature. I almost always miss out on what God's trying to do in the process of all of this. And parents, you know what this is like. You are going to get your kid a car, but not for their eighth birthday. And no matter how much they ask, and no matter how much they cry, and no matter how much they plead, you will not get them. But you will get them a car, but not yet. And if you got them a car at eight, they'd wreck it, and it wouldn't be the gift. It would be something bad. And so when we talk about having faith when we pray, we've got to be careful that we don't only think about faith as in confidence, bravado, bold, never doubting. Because part of faith is also faithfulness. And waiting or feeling as if everyone is passing you by but not giving up hope is just as much faith as walking, never doubting. Some days just not quitting is as much faith as the person who's, you know, so strong. Okay? So that's our starting point is I got to admit I am super discouraged about unanswered prayers, but if I'm being fair about this, I also have to admit that my sinful nature probably causes me to ask for things that aren't necessarily right, for reasons that are not necessarily right, at times that are probably not right, okay? And I've got just a few minutes left, but I've been gone for a while, and i got a lot to say, so I'm going to keep going for just a little bit, okay? Because my goal today has been to give you more confidence, but I probably haven't done that yet. So I want to spend just a few more moments trying to do that, trying to give you confidence. And I think as Christians, our confidence in prayer and specifically in asking comes from two, two reasons, two places. The first reason is that we are promised by the Bible, by Scripture, that when we show up to pray, the Holy Spirit will help us pray. Romans 8, 6 says that we show up and we don't know what to pray and the Holy Spirit prays for us on our behalf. And not knowing what to pray could mean that we are literally speechless because we don't know what to pray. And so we pray in the Spirit, Romans says, with groanings and utterances. That is one way of not knowing how to pray and praying through the Spirit. But you can also not know what to pray and just ramble on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Just because you're talking doesn't mean you know what to pray about. And so that also means that the Holy Spirit helps us in this supernatural way that we cannot explain. That even as we're praying in our own way, in our own language, the Holy Spirit is taking those words and reinterpreting them or reorganizing them. And what that's not how it works, but just go with me in your head. And, getting, and, and, and so in, in some supernaturally orchestrated way, this sinful man who prays for the wrong things for the wrong reasons at the wrong time, the Holy Spirit gets them to God, and they're the right prayers for the right reasons at the right time. And so in a way, not as a technicality, but in a way to grab a hold of, to give us some confidence, this means that through the Holy Spirit, God answers every prayer that we would pray if we knew 
how to only pray the right prayers. And there's some hope in that. But I think even greater than that, we get confidence from the words of John 14 that Sadie read for us. You can ask for anything in my name, Jesus said, and I will do it. There's that phrase in there, in my name, that should fill us with all the confidence that we need to go to God and to ask What does that mean, in in my name? Well, at its core, it means something pretty remarkable. What it doesn't mean is that we just pray and then at the end say, in Jesus' name, amen. Which there's nothing wrong with that. That's what I do. You should do that too. It's a great reminder. But it means something way better than adding it to the end of our prayers. It means that when we pray, we are praying on behalf of Jesus. It means that We should not be able to go to God. Who who are we? We are unclean. We are sinners. We shouldn't be able to go to God and make a request to God. But the reason we are able to go to God and to make a request to God is because when we go and make our request, we are not doing it in our name. We're doing it in Jesus' name. We're praying on behalf of Jesus. And this means that If you have faith in the life and the death of Jesus Christ, then you know that God has already proven that there is nothing that he will withhold from you. He has already solved your biggest problem, and he's already answered your greatest prayer request, whether you knew you had that need or not, and he did it by giving us his greatest gift. And so we should never go into prayer or go into asking, praying for a rental car allotment or praying for a job or praying for our aunt or child who's sick or praying for whatever it is that we're going through. When we come to God in prayer, we should never, ever, ever doubt or ever wonder if he would withhold from us. Because in Jesus we can be certain of the fact that there is nothing he would hold back from us for our good. And so we come to God and we pray in the name of Jesus. And every time I stand up here, I say, and I want to make sure that you know the gospel, that we get credit for the life of Jesus because he took credit for our life. And this isn't just good for our eternity, it's also good for our prayer life. Because Jesus can ask God for anything he wants. He's Jesus. But because of the cross, and because when God looks at me, he sees the life of Jesus, that means that I can go to God and ask for anything that I want. Because he sees Jesus. And I can ask in Jesus' name. And technically anybody can pray, and I'm not smart enough to know how all that works, but for the Christian, for the person whose faith is in Jesus, we're not just wishing We are going to God with full certainty that God always has my best interests in mind. You say, Jason, you don't know what I've been through. How could you be sure that God always has my best interests in mind? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. But this also reminds us of one more thing that we have to remember every time we ask God for something in Jesus' name. And that is that every answered prayer that you and I will ever experience We get to experience it because of Jesus' unanswered prayer. In the garden, 
Jesus prayed to God, God, if it is possible, if there's any other way, take this cup of suffering from me. And God did not answer that prayer. That's why we get to pray in Jesus' name. And so if you're here today and you would say, I've been so discouraged and you have no idea what it's felt like and and I've prayed and God has not answered my prayers, you have a Savior in Jesus Christ who knows exactly what that feels like. His greatest need, what, what was his perceived greatest need, sweating blood, anxiously looking forward to the suffering of the cross. He said, God, any way, any way out. Come on, God, any way out. And God said, I'm not answering this prayer. And so every prayer, every answered prayer that you and I get to experience is only experienced because of Jesus' unanswered prayer in the garden. We get to pray in Jesus' name. We have inherited a relationship with God. Our eternity is secure. And I, I love the way Tim Keller describes this. He said, when you're thinking about unanswered prayer, he said it's kind of like a, a five-year-old. Like you and I are this five-year-old playing in the kitchen of our home with our, with our toy truck. And someone runs through the door in their excitement. They run into the house and in their excitement, they accidentally step on our toy truck and they, they break it. And what does a five-year-old do when somebody breaks their truck? We begin to cry and we're upset because our truck is gone. And the person who was so excited ran into the house and they said, you're never going to believe this, but you had this distant uncle who has recently died and he left you an inheritance of $10 million. Keller says, you know what that five-year-old would do? He'd keep crying about his truck. Because he doesn't know what $10 million is. He can't understand the value of an inheritance of $10 million. He just wants his truck back. And you could try to explain it to him, but it wouldn't matter because he's five. And I could stand up here today and I could try to explain to you how it is going to be okay. And you shouldn't feel bad. But you know what? Five-year-olds cry over broken trucks. And human beings get discouraged over unanswered prayers. But when we are walking through those seasons, we have to remember that we are a five-year-old with a broken truck who has an inheritance so great we could never comprehend it. And so even if every prayer went unanswered for the rest of our life, the prayer that we needed answered, whether we knew it or not, was already answered by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so today or tomorrow morning when you go to God in prayer and you have things you want to ask for, don't shorten that list. You bring them all to God. You bring them all to God. But as you're praying, remember who you're praying in and how you're getting to pray in Jesus' name. And so in just a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to have the opportunity to take communion. And when you come forward today, if you'd like to do that, you don't have to if you don't want to. But if you want to come forward and take communion, you'll take the bread, you'll dip it in the juice. And when you do that, maybe today, maybe a little differently than normal, but maybe today we could take a moment, take the bread, dip it in the juice, and we could say to God, God, thank you for not answering Jesus' prayer in the garden. Thank you, God, that you answered my prayer for my soul long before I even knew that I needed to pray for it. Thank you that I get to pray in Jesus' name. Take that bread and the juice. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that um, 
You sent your son to die for my sins. And in doing that, God, you have proven to me that there is nothing that you will withhold from me. I don't ever have to worry, God, that you're holding out on me because I know about Jesus. And so, God, I I thank you that because of Jesus Christ and the cross, because his body was broken and his blood was shed, I thank you that now I get to come to you and I get to pray about hangnails and rental cars and cancer and jobs. It doesn't matter what it is. What matters is that I come in the name of Jesus Christ. So thank you for that, God. I pray for every person this morning who's discouraged, who's going through times that are tough and difficult. Prayers have not been answered. I don't have enough words to make it all make sense, but God, I pray if nothing else, we would leave here today reminded that while life feels broken, there is an inheritance that we receive and that the greatest need we've ever had has already been met by you through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.